let's talk about things that might be hitting your kitchen table. And we start with Serb clawbacks. Have a listen to this. I was nervous that I would be eligible for it, but I did feel like I fit the criteria. I was really grateful. Honestly, Serb and CRB has been a bit of a godsend. Really, really fortunate for having it, but it's still, it's not a full-time income. It was just enough for like bills and rent. I have a home to live in. We have food to eat. Our basics are covered. It covers the bare minimum. I hope that once things start to open up again, the government and and other people don't forget that we still might need a little help. Now, when CERB was first announced, for many Canadians, it really hit home the seriousness of the pandemic. Go home, stay home, we'll keep you moving forward. Today, as we find ourselves in a, in a somewhat better place, certainly not through the pandemic completely, but definitely seeing things return to some semblance of normalcy. Well, more than 1 million Canadians find themselves in a position where they might need to pay back the CERB that they claimed back then in 2020 or throughout 2021. And it's been a a stressful time for, for so many. So what does it mean when you get that notification that you erroneously claimed CERB? Or if it is, hey, you out and out did this knowing you didn't qualify for it and you need to pay it back. What if what does it mean if you don't have the dough? Well, let's talk that through. Jamie Gollumbeck joins us, Managing Director of Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Private Wealth Management is with us. Thanks for doing this, Jamie. My pleasure. A lot of super stressed out Canadians when they uh, get that notification in the mail. Some people, as mentioned, did this in error, thought they qualified, but did not. Others were like, hey, free money, I'm in. And now finding themselves in a position where they must pay it back. What does this look like uh, in a a long-term sense for Canadians who are in this uh, bit of a pickle, if you will, with CERB? Yeah, so it's a serious issue. I mean, you have to remember that back in 2020, when, of course, the pandemic first came on, no one knew what was happening, how long it would last. The government's goal was to get cash in the hands of Canadians, millions of Canadians that were unemployed, that really needed the money as soon as possible. So they just said, look, if you qualify, go online, fill out a few things, and we'll send you the money. And that's basically what they did. They didn't bother checking whether or not you met the conditions, like you had $5,000 of income the prior year, or you lost work. They said, we'll take care of that later. Government's priority was to get cash. And for many people, that worked out well, and they got the cash. Um, That being said, now they've had time. It's two years later. Uh, Things have calmed down somewhat. Obviously, we're not out of the crisis uh, from a pandemic perspective completely. But now the government is taking the time to send out letters to people saying, look, uh, from our criteria, we're looking at our systems, you didn't qualify and therefore, if you think you qualify, yes, get in contact with us and we'll review your information. And ultimately, as some taxpayers, you have the right to your day in court if you really feel you qualify. But for anyone who didn't qualify, who may have just, you know, uh, you know, applied erroneously or even on purpose, they're asking you to send the money back. Good news, though, no interest, no penalties, you know, just send the money back. And if you don't have the money, they will work with you to help you find a repayment schedule to pay it back over time. Okay, Jamie, so what does that look like? Is it is it perhaps future income tax return refunds that you might be eligible for, or might they take a little bit out of your wages moving forward, or are they going to count on the individual uh, to come up with uh, the payment plan? Yeah, so that is very, very individualized, and that's why if you do get the letter, there is a phone number to call, 
Uh, typically, it's the CRA collections area, and then you can work out a plan with them. You know, can you pay? How much? They'll look at your budget. They look at what you're taking in. How much can you afford to pay per month? Um, and then you pay it back over time, um, or ultimately they may take it off a refund or other government benefits. But that's a very individual approach. And we encourage people that, I mean, these are only for people that probably knew they didn't qualify or now realize that they didn't qualify. Um, then there's no point in fighting it. You're not going to win. And there have been, again, at least a half a dozen cases that I've already covered uh, in my weekly column uh, where taxpayers have tried. They didn't have the evidence. They didn't receive the income, and they've lost the case. I wouldn't bother fighting it if you really didn't qualify. But if you did qualify, right. obviously, that's where, that's where you really want to object and, and take it right to court. We're with Jamie Gollenbeck, Managing Director of Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC Private Wealth Management. For those going, hey, wait, where, where's your column? Where do we read that? Can you, can you let our listener know? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a nationally syndicated column in Post Media. It appears primarily in the Financial Post every Saturday, but it is circulated across most of the Post Media publications. Of course, it's available online as well. Excellent. So now let's delve into somebody who knows that they did not qualify and cannot fight it and cannot pay it back and are really worried to make that call to the CRA. Nobody likes to call uh, Revenue Canada. <laughs> I mean, let's be clear. But what what's your advice to someone who knows they've done wrong and knows they don't have the dough um, and, and feels like maybe if they do nothing, they might just be able to, to let this blow over. That's not going to blow over because it's on the file. I mean, at the end of the day. So um, I think eventually it's going to catch up to you and it may catch up to you in an unexpected way. In other words, if you're expecting a certain government benefit or a certain thing and you just don't get it, uh, that's a problem. So, you know, my advice really is to reach out to the CRA. Uh, they'll work with you. Uh, they understand. They understand it's been a very difficult time, especially if you've lost your job. If you really have no income, um, and they'll put together a payment program um, that will work with you over the long term, even you know uh, taking let's say a little bit every single month. So uh, again, I wouldn't ignore it. That's not that's not a good idea. I, I, that was kind of a rhetorical question, but I'm glad you laid it out so succinctly because there are people who are just like, I'm going to put my, I'm going to, I'm going to ostrich here. I'm going to put my head in the sand. I'm going to say it doesn't exist because I'm not opening the, you know, telltale beige envelope that's sitting by my front door. Uh, let's get into um, what uh, a payment plan might look like for someone who's never been in the position of having that uh, negotiated repayment. Uh, if somebody's like literally paycheck to paycheck right now and, and thinks, you know, I can barely make it one day to the next, how forgiving might somebody expect the CRA to be? As you've laid out, Jamie, I mean, very clearly, this has been unprecedented. I know we've used that word too much over the last two and a half years, but seriously, when we were sent home, we were mandated to go home and stay home. That's what the CERB or the CRB was all about. If you were a, a, a worker in a in a restaurant or in, in, in tourism that you literally could not do your job, this was a way to continue uh, supporting Canadians, but more than a million people finding themselves in a position where they need to address some sort of repayment. What might that look like when, when they have that discussion with CRA to try and quote unquote, find a way when they barely make it month to month? Yeah. So it's a good question. Again, it's very flexible. I don't have uh, sort of published guidelines on this. It's all very new in terms of the COVID relief. But at the end of yeah. the day, what, based on prior experience, what they will do is they will work with you. They will look at your budget. Uh, they will want to see how much you're taking in every month on average. You know, if you can show them what you're making, uh, whether it's a, a job or part-time income or, 
maybe it's uh, just government support, disability, things like that. Um, they'll see what's coming in. Uh, then they'll want to see evidence of your monthly expenses, like what is your rent, what is your food, what is your housing, and they'll see what, what's there and, and see, if, you know, is there an opportunity that you can pay, you know, a certain amount every month, uh, you know, for the next year or two. Remember, again, no penalties, no interest of any kind. So it's really just paying back the money that you really weren't entitled to uh, in the first place. That is such an important piece of this. When somebody is feeling the stress that there's no penalty here, there's no interest associated with it. If you didn't qualify for CERB or CRB, you just need to pay back what you received in error. Or perhaps you thought, maybe I'll just take the free money that's on the table because it's there and I can. Uh, Jamie, thank you for doing this. We really appreciate it. We'll make sure we read you in the Financial Post on Saturdays. My pleasure. Thank you. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith. As promised, time to get political again or continue with our political conversation. A BC Liberal Party MLA for Surrey White Rock, Trevor, Trevor Halford, is back on the program with us to discuss the convention this weekend for the BC Liberal Party in Penticton. Uh, thanks for joining us, Trevor. Good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me, Jody. Let's talk about what it was like, how how the uh, the vibe was, if you will, in Penticton, yeah. the political piece of this puzzle, welcoming the new leader. Yeah, you know what? It, it felt like a long overdue family reunion. And there were people that that uh, that I haven't seen for a couple of years, obviously, due to the pandemic. And uh, it felt great. And the energy level was high. Uh, you know, we our MLAs were uh, were ready to go. Uh, obviously, Kevin was was very energized. So. Uh, you know, I made the drive home uh, yesterday afternoon, and I was I was feeling pretty pretty good about where we are as a party right now. Excellent. Let's let's dive in a little bit deeper here. Let's start with the name change leading up to the convention. That was uh, all the buzz. Yeah, it was. Um, this this was something that Kevin's and this is a as a party we've talked about for for a long time. Um, this was something that Kevin uh, made a commitment to uh, at the beginning of his leadership, and he's following through on that commitment and. It's going to be driven by the membership, and we obviously had the vote on the resolution, uh, and it was you know overwhelmingly in support of the resolution on Saturday. And you know now what we're looking at is um, we're going to get the options of what names are available, and people are able to submit names through our through our portal, and we're going to take that to the membership by the end of 2022, and we are going to give the members a, vo- a voice and a choice, and uh, that's that's what we're going to do. All right, let's get to the meat of what's hitting the kitchen table for British Columbians right now. Mental health, housing affordability, inflation, uh, just coming through uh, COVID-19 and and continuing to deal with this virus that continues to circulate. Uh, How was that discussed over the course of the weekend? Uh, that, that, you know, I did the the MLA uh, critic accountability panel on Saturday. And, you know, the, the first three, four questions were on mental health. Uh, and the crisis, right. we're losing six British Columbians a day. And everybody in this province realizes what a substantial, heartbreaking crisis that actually is. And we need real solutions to that. And one of the things that I've always talked about that we are not talking enough about as a province is recovery. And so, you know, we was able to have that conversation. And that, that affects every riding in this province. There was delegates from Surrey that were talking about that. There was delegates from Port St. John and Prince George. So, you know, there, and you talk about the mental health crisis that we're in as well, right? Is people are, you know, I was hearing from parents saying that they're struggling to get their kids into counseling, to be able to afford counseling services. They're being on wait lists. 
so there's a number of issues that are that are facing British Columbians right now. And, uh, you know, the mental health is, is top of that list, as is affordability. And so we're hearing from everybody that they're in an absolute crunch right now and things are not getting better. In fact, they're getting worse. And, you know, that's one of the things Kevin talked about in the speech yesterday is that we've got to be able to tackle these big issues because right now we're not we're seeing a total chasm of leadership out of Victoria and the NDP with John Morgan right now. We're with Trevor Halford, a BC Liberal Party MLA for Surrey White Rock. And Trevor, you and I have spoken before. Um, I got to bring this to the table because I was watching closely over the course of the weekend the coverage of, of the yep. convention. And I was a little bit, um, I don't know, I don't know if shocked is the right word. I was surprised to, to hear a, a bit of heckling from the crowd. You know, Fire Bonnie Henry came out and, and yeah. Shirley Bond very quick to respond saying, you know, uh, the, the 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 BC Liberals have been very clear that they support public health measures and what have you. But the the big tent conversation that happens as a result of of, of this type of thing can you can you inform our listener and perhaps uh, undecided voters on what a big tent party means? Well, a couple of things. And one is, and in, in Shirley did handle that very well because we've been clear from the very beginning is that we support public health orders. We're not going to waver on that. Um, you know, if, if people are going to come in and, and speak their mind, they have, they have every right to do that. But um, that, is, that is where we are as a caucus. It's where we are as a party. And the fact that we've always said from the beginning of this pandemic to today is that we support public health. We, we do that and those recommendations. We're going to ask tough questions, but we've, you know, that, that's where we are. As a big tent party, we are, we are better when we are united, whether it's federal liberals, federal conservatives, uh, you know, Kevin talked about it in, in terms of the spectrum is that we had people like, you know, uh, former Senator uh, Richard Neufeld up in Fort St. John. And we had people at Carol Taylor at our cabinet table making decisions and they were able to come together in the best interest of British Columbians. We are better when we are together. And we were seeing a lot of that synergies over the weekend. We had a lot of federal liberals up there. We had a lot of federal conservatives, yeah. but we had people, the majority of people in this province do not carry, uh, do not carry a political card, right? The, the majority yeah. of people do not. And the fact is, is that, you know, we want to put forward real solutions for British Columbians who are struggling right now. We want to make this province a better place to live. And that's what we're going to be focused on, no matter what card you're carrying in, in your wallet. And, you know, for the majority of British Columbians, they're not carrying one. Right. If you happen to be in the mushy middle, though, you might want to see representation of your community uh, in your party uh, that is uh, seeking leadership. And and there have been some, well, certainly, um, as discussed with Keith Baldry, because it is tradition to have observers from the other party uh, attend your convention, the NDP put out a press release uh, referencing the fact that of the 21 speakers, only seven were women, and that there were yeah. uh, some issues with regard to people of color being represented within this wow. uh, convention. So I'll, I'll say to that is that they were able to put out that press release because we didn't we didn't require them to sign a non-disclosure agreement, which is something they did at their last convention. They asked the attendees to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Um, we didn't do that. And, and the fact is, is that and we also didn't I'll point out not one single NDP MLA actually came up to our convention, which is pretty unheard of for political conventions. There's usually an elected official that goes up. So I was a little bit surprised to see that uh, they didn't make that a priority, but that's, that's up to them. Um, what I will say on that is that we had, you know, a, a, one of my good friends, Pete Sand, was our uh, co-chair of the, of the convention. Um, also a former candidate for us in Surrey Panorama, and she was also co-chair of uh, Kevin's leadership campaign. 
um, we had a, a, a very diverse, diverse group up there. Um, and, you know, your point on the panels is well taken. Um, but, you know, we need to make sure that we are, we are attracting the best. And I, I think that if people look at the individuals that we had up there attending this convention, um, they would have seen that. And I, I'd put Panita at the top of that list. I appreciate the fact that you didn't try and spin that, where you say that point is taken, because building is part of this, the the evolution and the change within, as you said, because most of us don't carry a political card in our pocket. Uh, we're looking to have that that meaningful conversation, and when there is an, an area for improvement, to, to acknowledge it and, and grow on it. Um, when it comes to the, the listener right now who perhaps had thought BC liberals are like federal liberals, which is, has been the case for some that aren't nerdy like perhaps me um the the, or me. the, the what Keith yeah. or you well certainly as as uh, yeah, a member yeah. as a BC Liberal yeah. Party MLA um but would you say that the the BC Liberal Party as it is today uh versus perhaps uh where it was in 2020 or back in 2017 is it is the party moving more conservative no no I I think that the party is moving more towards uh making life easier for British Columbians and the party is moving towards getting it's priorities right. And the fact is, is that we've got an NDP government right now led by Premier Horgan that its priority is a billion dollar uh, vanity museum when one in five British Columbians don't have access to a family doctor. That's almost a million British Columbians without a family doctor. We're looking at the fact that they are now taking away individualized funding from uh, families with aut- kids with autism. That is wrong. We stand on the other side of that. Uh, so that's the stuff that we're talking about. I don't think you can pin that to either a conservative or federal liberal value. It's just the right thing to do. Uh, that's the stuff that we're going to be talking about and we're going to be focused on. Appreciate your time today, Trevor. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Jody. Appreciate it. That's Trevor Halford, BC Liberal Party MLA for Surrey White Rock. We uh, offered up an opportunity for the BC NDP to sort of have their perspective or not sort of, but give their perspective on the BC Liberal Convention in Penticton that was held over the weekend. A press release went out with some stats and and figures around it because it is tradition for observers from other parties to attend uh, party conventions such as what happened in Penticton. And certainly the NDP uh, had put out a press release with some uh, interesting uh, points of view as we had uh, uh, with Trevor Helford just prior to this segment. Uh, BC Liberal Party MLA from Surrey White Rock was referencing some of what was brought to the fore by that uh, press release from the BC NDP. Things like 21 speakers and only seven of them were women, uh, no people of color on the panels, um, where there was some um, heckling at Shirley Bond with regard to firing Dr. Bonnie Henry and the conversation around a Big Ten party. There were um, numbers that weren't quite lining up, perhaps, in terms of the number of delegates uh, in attendance. So we wanted to, uh, after giving Trevor Helford an opportunity to address all of that, which he did, um, now to bring in BC NDP MLA for Vancouver Kingsway, also the Parliamentary Secretary for Senior Services and Long-Term Care, Mabel Elmore is on the line. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, nice to be here with you, Joy. Just one correction on the MLA for Vancouver, Kensington. Oh, I'm sorry. I King, Kingsway. That's neighbors, my bad. Neighbors, Kensington. Neighbors with Kingsway. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I do that all the time. I love both neighborhoods. Kensington, of course. Thank you for really doing good. this. Let's talk about what you and your party saw happening in Penticton at the BC Liberal Convention. What's your perspective on this? 
Well, I think that it's, um, you know, more of the same. And in terms of your remarks, only uh, seven of the 21 speakers were women and no uh, folks of colour on a number of their panels. Um, That's reflected in who's uh, elected for the BC Liberals. And, um, you know, disappointing in in terms of it looks like the BC Liberals are continuing down the path uh, to become more conservative and really narrowing uh, their support base and not reflecting the diversity that we see across British Columbia, particularly in Metro Vancouver. Now, we could have had this in the debate platform where the two of you go back and forth, but instead we (laughs) opted to have Trevor on first and then have you on. So I want to give you an opportunity to address a couple of things that he brought up as well um, in in terms of how the B.C. Liberal Party is going to really focus in on the mental health piece. And and, and he did bring up the fact that the B.C. NDP are looking at building this almost $1 billion museum uh, when most British Columbians can't find a family physician. So how would you respond to that? Well, the record uh, of the BC Liberals is, you know, we really had a patchwork in terms of services to deal with mental health and addictions. Our government has made it a priority. We have a minister of mental health and addictions, have brought in a provincial framework, uh, are building out services, and are really leading the country in terms of our complex care, uh, supportive housing to get folks, um, those hard to house folks who have multiple, uh, who have addiction and mental health issues into supportive housing with those supports. So we're really um, addressing uh, these issues and, and putting resources into supporting those folks and their families. There is that piece about this museum that has a lot of our listeners up in arms with regard to how much we have going on in this province, how so many people are struggling so mightily. It feels like this probably should not be a priority, certainly one that costs that much money that that takes that takes that much resource that many tax dollars can you speak to that and 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 give an idea of why the government is pushing forward with this project i think there's a misunderstanding it's not that you know our resources into supporting our museum which for 20 years has needed to be rebuilt it's under you know we're at the risk of losing uh, our historical artifacts which are so critical but it's um, we are in investing in uh, the museum and we have a record capital investment in British Columbia. We know we were left with a record, uh, you know, not having schools and hospitals. We are building schools and hospitals uh, and infrastructure right across the province uh, in record numbers. So we are valuing our, our cultural uh, heritage and, and artifacts, um, you know, the importance of reconciliation and telling all our stories uh, for British Columbians is, is critical and key. And so I think it's, you know, a disservice to pit our, our cultural assets, our, you know, our, our museum against, um, you know, funding for hospitals and schools, which we're doing uh, at, at, at record number, at record numbers uh, that we ever have in, in B.C. I think what the at the issue is the the cost of that, you know, not to just hang on this one subject matter, but just we can we can leave this here, but just. Even for for a layperson like myself who looked at it, I was like, wow, almost a billion dollars for a building. It seems like I'd like to see why. I'd like to see those numbers. I think that's where this story moves forward that we'll continue to dig into. But for our purposes, I did not bring you on today to talk about the museum. I want to talk more about your perspective on the BC Liberal Convention. We got a couple of minutes here to do so. Um, Was there anything else that really peaked for you? I mean, I know there was some uh, numbers that seemed to not really line up when it came to who was reporting uh, on behalf of your party on on how many people were in attendance and how many people were voting versus what they were saying was in attendance? Well, one thing I was disturbed, disappointed to hear was the number of 
folks expressing um, anti-vax views. I know there were calls for Dr. Bonnie Henry to be uh, fired, and I was disappointed to to hear Trevor Halford, um, you know, kind of dodge that question and you know, kind of uh, say that it's it's a big tent uh, party. And I think that I would uh, hope that Kevin Falcon would make it clear that. Um, those views aren't supported and that um, they support uh, our provincial health officer and mandates brought in to protect uh, to protect the health of British Columbians during the pandemic. So that's one piece. And then the other issue around the debate around changing the name, I think that, and this also ties to the issue of representation and, um, you know, lack of women uh, represented and also um, people from different ethnic backgrounds, racialized communities not seeing themselves reflected in the BC Liberals is also their record and Kevin Falcon's record when he was in government, they really brought in damaging policies that had uh, huge impacts to racialized communities. I'll give you an example. They had the mass largest firing of immigrant workers, racialized and particularly women workers in Canada in the healthcare sector in 20 years now, we're bringing them back and repatriating them into the, into the health authority. So that's one example of the record. They want to change, you know, the name of the BC Liberals and maybe a new coat of paint. That's not going to change, you know, Kevin Falcon's record, uh, you know, who he stands for, what, what they represent. And um, so there's a big disconnect there. Yeah, the want to see that diversity piece and and some significant change for BC voters. I mean, certainly we have seen that from 2017 to 2020, and now we sit here in 2022 and the goal on 2024. Um, we'll see how it evolves from here. I do appreciate you taking the time and, and stepping up to uh, to have this conversation. All right, thanks. Jody Vance with you and this next conversation is going to be an interesting one because I'm going to open up the phone lines and get your perspective on it. Lots of people talking about it as more and more the calls are coming to return to work. Remember a time when you could not even fathom working from home the way we have the last two years. I'm sitting right now talking to you from my home studio. I have not set foot in the CKNW studios since St. Patrick's Day of 2020. I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows from home. And now it's kind of hard for me to think about what it would be like to actually get back to the studio. I miss my friends. I miss my coworkers, but I do enjoy the flexibility of work from home. How do you feel about that? Ponder that thought as we're going to open up the phone lines, as I said. But before we do, I want to bring in career consultant and expert. She's a speaker and a, an author, founder of Teach and Do Career Consultancy. Sweeta Regmi uh, joins us on the line. Thanks for doing this, Sweeta. Thank you. This is Sweta Regmi uh, from Teach and Do, and uh, good to be here. Sweta, I'm sorry, I said Sweta. Sweta. That um, yes. let, I, I'm I'm a Jody with a Y. It's a it's a I take the correction and note it. Um, let's dive into your perspective on this. Um, can you imagine that we would find ourselves in a position where the conversation is, well, maybe I don't want to go back to the office to work. Oh my gosh, that's so right. I remember me in the corporate world, if someone had asked me, can I work from home? I'd be like, are you crazy? (laughs) I'd be like, no, because I think it was all about policies and process. And then I think a lot of tech, um, you know, savviness involved as well. Um, I mean, you know, it depends on, I think one size does not fit all at all. There's still, I want to put the disclaimer out there. There are businesses out there that cannot function from home, right? There are some logistics. Um, I think... 
Now, when you look at the stat, 24, I think, or what's happening is one in five employed Canadians were still working mostly from home in May. Now they're getting back. And that's down, like, you know, that's down 24% in January and 30% from a year ago, right? That makes me think is employers are wanting uh, people back at work, but do they have that model, you know, policies and process, hybrid model? They're confused, I think. Leadership team itself are having a tough time, I think, right? So uh, I hear that from a lot of my clients as well. I think they're all confused. Like, you know, what are the policy? What are the protocol? When do I come in? When do I show up? I think that's where we go. Right. And how do you enforce that? If you have a, a hub situation where you're doing the hybrid and it's like, okay, everybody in the office on a Wednesday or some come in Tuesday, Thursday, and others are in Monday, Wednesday, and then you rotate who comes in on a Friday. Like who's keeping track of that? Can employers enforce that? And what does enforcement look like? And also there's a money saving piece for many, most, if not all working from home. It, it cuts down on uh, gas, certainly an issue right now. Parking's a big deal for people who maybe gave up their car during the pandemic and, and, and have a whole different lifestyle at play two plus years later. The fact that this wasn't just a, a, a few weeks or a couple of months of work from home, uh, does that play into this at all? Absolutely. I think, you know, and again, I'd like to bring that, uh, you know, the expenses um, as, you know, someone who literally now are not going to the daycare to drop the kids, right? It's been very convenient for them. Now, employers are telling them to come back, you know, who's taking care of that, right? Those are the stress that you're feeling it, at least my clients are feeling it. You know, what do I do with my daycare expenses now? Because now it's going to add the bill. Imagine two or three kids and it's like through the roof and they're not making that much too. And then they're quitting as well. There, there comes a factor. There's a great resignation coming in. There's exactly the reason for it. So I think I'd like to see employers not enforcing it, giving the options, being flexible. And I always say, you know what, uh, actually the being flexible is priceless and we've realized it personally myself as well um, and there's no price tag um, to um, you know um, put the employee put actually those people in the power there's no price tag at all for flexibility at all you cannot enforce yeah. it understand their needs and it, deal with the case-by-case basis and give them option that's that's where i sit in right now Sweta Regmi is a teach and do career consultancy uh, expert on careers and, and helping with all levels of what you need to do to navigate your way through to the best job and, and living your best life while having that work-life balance, maximizing uh, how your work experience is moving forward. And I think a lot of people have learned uh, that that in in the new normal, I, I, I struggle for a new word, in this current phase of the COVID-19 pandemic, because none of us know what's going to happen in the fall. If we have another, when we have another COVID season, what that looks like, if we're all asked to go be flexible and go back to working from home, that flexibility, I guess, feels like it needs to be reciprocal now with the employer. I was speaking to a friend of mine just yesterday who is being asked to return to work. He's only being asked to return one day a week, but his he's not in this province. He's he's in Ontario and he's like, my, my kids aren't in school. We made the decision mm-hmm. and in Ontario, you had to decide to keep your kids home or have them in school. There was no hybrid option. And and they chose to keep their, their kids at home and his wife goes to work every day. So he's working from home and caring for, for the children. So it would upend his apple cart to even go in one day a week. So how do you navigate that conversation without it getting uncomfortable with your employer? 
So that's a great question. And I think this is where um, leadership is being tested right now. One size does not fit all. And have that moment with you. This is where you build the connections and act as a leader. There's a clear thin line between being a manager and being a leader, I think. This is where you got to have the conversations um, and then let them go. And I've had clients who have kids and they have the flexible hours. I, you know, I've had the great leader. Um, I've, I've heard them say that, you know what, I don't need you to log in at this time. Do whatever gets you know get it done i don't care what time you log in what time like you know you you just go off drop your kids do whatever get it done i don't care and that's what i think leadership teams should be working on instead of tracking those away on a green light signal whatever you know what i mean so like i think they need to be uh, they need to just let people you know you hire smart people let's be real right you hire smart people why are you telling people to do things you know your way let them figure it out as long as the productivity is not impacted you know what um go for it be a leader not a manager this is a time everyone is tested that productivity piece is very big sweat i agree with you on that one if the productivity is there the micromanagement needs not be there when we had this conversation last week i was filling in on the jill bennett show and we had uh, open it up to callers which we'll do actually let's open up the phone lines for this next segment after the break i'll come to you 604-280-9898 is the number 604-280-9898 star 9898 a free call on your cell about returning to work how are you coping with it as an employee or perhaps how are you working it it as an employer because we did have some employers call in uh last week in the segment to say hey you know what yes i hire good people yes i pay those people and when i'm paying them for their time i expect there to be immediate accountability or the ability for me to monitor uh their their work as they might have been monitored within a work environment i mean obviously there's water cooler talk and break times and lunches Mm -hmm. and and even smoke breaks for some people still even in 2022 but it's that it's that piece of being completely out of the office because there are some people who would take advantage of that. Oh, my God, yes. You know what? And this is what I wanted to go back to the leadership team. You know what? You know the outliers, right? By introducing the model of monitoring everybody, I think, it's not the right, uh, you know, it's not the right approach. Um, you know, as a leader, I've dropped the ball so many times. I've learned the lesson, right? So you got to learn mm. that, you know what, managing outliers, go and manage outliers, because if you don't do that, then, you know, you're going to make an impact to the top performer, and they're going to leave. So go have the conversation, wh- whoever is slacking off. When the productivity is not there, ask the questions about why it's not there. Ask why before assuming it, because people are going with so many things right now. Mental health is huge. What are you going to do about it? Maybe there's accommodations. That needs to be in place as well. Maybe people are really given up on it. That's where you as a leader need to inspire people. Um, and this is where you show up a true leadership by asking why and how can I help you and how I can support you. We're with Sweta Regmi, a career consultant and expert speaker and author, founder of Teach and Do Career Consultancy. Give our listener an idea of what Teach and Do is. Absolutely. Teaching you is a career consultancy for job seekers where I help them navigate uh, the job search market, especially I work with the newcomers in Canada, people who are laid off as well, or people who are really miserable right now, right now, who are trying to go where, um, you know, they are celebrated for whatever reason. And this actually comes up a lot. So I help them with the resume writing services, LinkedIn profile branding, um, and building a personal branding online as well. And those are the job search strategy. I customize it, I work with them one-to-one. It's more kind of like mentoring sessions for job seekers in Canada. 
That's cool. Let's. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of supply and demand when it comes to employment? Does it does it vary in extremes across the the differing levels of employment, or because it, it appears that that employers are struggling to to restock the coffers of employees, if you will. You know what? I think there's a lot of talk out there about, okay, there are a lot of jobs. And I believe that by working with my client closely, it depends on the market. I mean, you know, um, I would not believe the hype that it's put it out there. You know what? You can quit right now and you would get offers like, you know, multiple offers tomorrow. It all depends on your niche market, um, your brand itself, how you can celebrate your success and everything. It's up to you. Plus, you know, it depends on the industry and the role um, as well. So you got to research it before you start quitting left and right. I think <laughs> you got to really know what you want first. That is great advice. And and lastly, before I let you go, if somebody really does not want to return to work, really doesn't feel that back to the office is what is how they want to do it, what's their best plan on exiting uh, so that you don't plunk your resume? Absolutely. You know what? Um, there's one advice I always tell people. Do not, you know, burn the bridge um, if you really want those references later on, right? There's a strategic way to plan your exit out is, first of all, you need to figure out who you are and why are you quitting and research the market and maybe, the, you know, the industry itself, maybe your industry, um, wherever you go, no matter what, you might not have that work-life balance and you might have to return back to work. So have a lot of information interviews, what's out there, what is an expectation within your role in different company just because one company does certain things that other company might not do it so don't quit it do a lot of information interviews talk to the people who are already in your role in different organizations collect the information gather you know and then what what motivates you is it money is it flexible hour is it uh, leadership style or is it you sometimes it could be you self-reflective role is it you can you do something better are you not giving productivity is that why you're being micromanaged as well. Try to learn about yourself and see if you can stick with the employer or talk to them, bring it to a child's attention. Nothing works. You know what? You need to go where you're celebrated and have that exit plan by putting a very clear branding and resume and LinkedIn profile and job search strategy. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Sweta. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for calling me. Take care. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith, and I'm not sure if you perhaps were stuck in one of the traffic jams today caused by protests. Save old growth protests back in action on multiple fronts today. Demonstrators blocking highways this morning, Massey Tunnel and uh, Ironworkers Memorial Bridge, the second narrows there. Uh, Certainly frustrating for so many commuters who are already dealing with difficult roads to pass through as somebody who grew up in Tawasson and worked in Vancouver coming through that dilapidated tunnel the Massey tunnel is hard enough on a good day to have protesters block that road in the morning it can take all day to clear out the volume caused by that the frustration associated with that it it, it it's a trigger for me I gotta say so I, I get a little bit more upset than I might if I didn't have to do that commute on a regular my family lives in Tawas and I'm now in downtown and and it is it's kind of like crossing a border uh, and certainly people in north and west Vancouver feel that coming across either of the bridges either the Lions Gate or the 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 Ironworkers Memorial Bridge and that I guess is why these are targets for the save old growth protests knowing that it will definitely 
provide an emotional response. And certainly our next guest uh, is feeling that response as well. She is the organizer of cleartheroad.ca. Tamara Meggett joins us. Tamara, thank you for doing this. Hi, thanks for having me on. So tell us a little bit about cleartheroad.ca. Well, Clear the Road is an initiative that uh, was started following what we saw happen in Ottawa, where residents, you know, were able to and push back and win um, when they were affected by by a protest. And what we're seeing here is illegal blockades of roads. It's uh, you know under Section four twenty three one of the Criminal Code. It's punishable by up to five years in prison. And, uh, you know, we've had lots of people reach out and I happen to be a forestry family. So, you know, these these old growth protesters are nothing new to us. We've been dealing with them out in Ferry Creek for over a year now Um, and going through the same thing just in the bush rather than on the roads. So with uh, the Clear the Road, it's we're working on a class action lawsuit where residents of British Columbia throughout British Columbia that have been affected by these blockades reach out to us either through the website at cleartheroad.ca or email us at drive at cleartheroad.ca and let us know your story. Let us know how this has impacted you. We've heard everything from shifts lost at work, to which has resulted in being short for bills or mortgage payments, um, people missing dialysis appointments. The frustration Awful. and the harm is absolutely unbelievable. A parent who couldn't get their child to cancer treatment. You know, it's, um, but their goal is to make people upset and angry. So I really encourage people to refrain, just get out your, your camera, video, and document and get a hold of us. And let right. Us, don't let take us. the don't take the action that we did see someone do as Keith Baldry. Right. Keith Baldry was was talking about just so if you've just tuned in earlier on Baldry's beat, he was talking about how the blockade because there were more than there were there was one on the uh, an island highway as well um, where there was That's a protester right. up on a ladder. And it, there you go. And, and somebody a frustrated motorist or, or bystander uh, took it upon themselves to pull that ladder and, and the protester fell uh, and, and is injured. So it's, so it's in, not in going to help anyone video, to do that. Right. Yeah, yeah. In watching the video, the motorist had pulled a a piece of lumber um and it was quite some time after that a couple minutes after that that the ladder had fallen rcmp will determine you know the investigation will determine what the actual cause was but that right. kid fell 20 feet from a ladder onto pavement you know mm-hmm. and the that's these i call it drama for dollars and that's what these yeah. groups are after uh, one of the organizers Zane hack um some people are aware some people are not He's actually here on, he's an international student here on a student visa. And he's one of the main organizers of Save the Old Growth. So and, so in, when it comes to don't feed the beast is kind of what you're saying here. It's kind of like fe- exactly, feeding the trolls exactly. on social media, right? Exactly. Like if don't give, don't give the groups what they want, which is to grab bigger don't, headlines by, yeah. Yeah, don't give the two-year-old a chocolate bar for having a tantrum. <laughs> 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 there you go. Right? <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Cleartheroad.ca. So cleartheroad.ca is where you go. If you have have f- been frustrated by in a way that caused you or cost you 
something, you can become a part of this class, a class action lawsuit. Because I, I think, Tamara, a lot of people would say, you know, I, I don't really have a problem with, you know, the streaker running through the sporting event or the, you know, the sign that's hanging off the overpass or the, you know, the want to stand in front of the BC legislature and have a peaceful protest and have your voice heard. It's different Absolutely. when you are blocking, you know, infrastructure that is vital to to day-to-day society and what we're hearing from save old growth is that these protests aren't going to be slowing down in fact they're going to escalate they're going to escalate they have so they took a pause since april and they have spent this time recruiting um through universities through running groups different things like that where they are recruiting more and more people um you know it's it's a belief system that they have they have a strong conviction in that as does anybody who's willing to protest and, and absolutely, have your say, have your protest, have it on the side of the road. You know, we can argue, old growth, how much is left till the cows come home. But do it in a lawful manner. As soon as you start holding people hostage from moving about their day-to-day lives, that's a whole other level. Stop holding people yeah. hostage. Yeah, yeah. Clear, Cleartheroad.ca is where people can find out more information and reach out and connect with you. Tamara, thank you so much for taking Absolutely. some time out for us today. You're really welcome. appreciate it. Thank you. Have it's, a great day. And Cheers. you too. Let's reiterate the fact that if you find yourself exceptionally frustrated by a protest, somebody is blocking the road and you need to get through, do not engage. Do not find yourself in legal trouble or worse because you've engaged in this. It's like feeding the trolls online when you, it's a no-win situation if you, if you get into it, if you get into it in a way that is, uh, is unbecoming of anyone in society. We have to, we have to lean into our patients and find a way to, uh, to, to, to figure out what the pushback is in a, in a proper way, it's, it's difficult to even articulate because the protesters are really taking it to a next level. So we need to be mindful. This isn't going away anytime soon is kind of what I'm trying to say. So don't get yourself in trouble by being frustrated by it. I've sat in the Massey Tunnel traffic when there's been a protest and it's not fun.